0: Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Fire Time Podcast. Now I can't believe that we're here. Seriously, I cannot believe that we are at the end of season five. I, I feel like, I mean, you know, for most people, I think this is how 2020's been, that the year's just blown by. It feels like we need a we need a do-over once we get to January. I I remember sitting back towards the end of summer and just thinking through what the content was gonna be and arranging guests and everything. And, you know, our, our hope is that this season, the podcast, was really about your personal leadership and, and giving you tools and and you know interviewing people that really kind of challenge what are you personally doing to grow yourself and then out of the overflow of that grow your business and the people around you and, and I hope we've accomplished it. Now as always, we end each season with a Q&A episode, and there's some really good questions that I'm super excited to dive into, and we'll do that in just one minute. But before I do, I need to make you aware of a survey that is available right now, and it would mean the world if you could fill it out. So it's been a couple seasons since we've done this, but we have a podcast feedback survey. You can go to the website it's slash survey and fill it out. That's itsfiretime.com. But basically, we really care about the format of this podcast and want to know... How is the length of the episodes? Is the quality of the content getting better or getting worse? What's your favorite episode? What was your favorite season? This is going to take probably 30 seconds for you to fill out, and we're going to give an Amazon gift card away to a random participant. So make sure to go to slash survey. And, you know, I mean, you know, consider this is my performance review, and I need you to give it to me. So, with that in mind, we are going to jump straight into questions. I'm super excited excited about this and think it's going to be really valuable for you. All right, so here we go. I've got a stack of questions that I think are going to be really, really good to talk about. And we'll just come right out of the gate swinging with a really practical question. And here it is. How do you track door swings in your business? This is a great question. And the first thing I'll say in response to it is that There are a lot of ways you can do this. So make sure to take the advice that I'm giving here contextually, because you might find a better way to apply it in your specific context. But I'll tell you how I've seen it done, and then I'll tell you how how I've done it. So I think that there's a lot of companies that are nervous about getting it exactly right. And so they pay for a reader on a door, and I've seen companies that even like they track every door swing, and there's an algorithm that basically says, well you know we take all of our door swings for the day and then we cut them in half because everybody has to come in and go out and then we're going to guess that 20% of our traffic is team members that are going in and out of the door and 5% is the UPS person coming in and out so at the end of the day we take this much of the traffic left and and that's what we had for door swings and then we can divide that up against our sales so we can find out what our average sale per door swing is i've seen companies do that and i don't personally go there because i think that the data is too disconnected from real life now if your company does that that's totally fine and the important thing to realize is that i actually don't know if that's an accurate number right like well, I mean it's kind of arbitrary to say well 20% is team members going in and out and 5% is the UPS person or whatever. Plus like what if a team member comes in the front door but goes out the warehouse? Like but but the point is is that at least the data is consistent. So basically I would use that data not to say well we average, you know, 5.3 customers and close it up, you know, a 5% rate or a 10% rate based on door swings, I wouldn't do that because I don't think that's helpful. I think instead you look at the macro number and you say are we going up or are we going down? Like in general, are we becoming more effective per door swing or becoming or becoming less effective? For me personally that's about as far as I'll go with that data. And there's nothing wrong with, with using that, but that's the way that I would interpret it. For most companies, what I recommend honestly and you're going to laugh at me because there's a human factor to it, I would simply get out a spreadsheet and I would just create something you can print off every week that lists the days of the week. And then what I would do, so if you've got days of the week on your X axis, we're getting really technical here for you math nerds, and on your Y axis, I would list out all of your different kinds of products, your categories, right? So you've got wood stoves, wood inserts, wood fireplaces, gas stoves, gas fireplaces, gas inserts, all all the different categories you sell, barbecues, outdoor kitchens, vent pipe, will call. You know any reason that a customer would come into the store, put it on your Y axis. And every time a customer comes in, I would just put a simple hash mark for what kind of a customer are they. Are they in looking at a wood stove? Are they in looking at a fireplace? Are they a repeat customer? Are they a customer that's working with a builder on a new construction project? I would just simply put a check mark right there. And on your far right-hand side of the column, I would have a spot to put, if you wrote that customer up, a quote, if you scheduled an in-home visit, or if you took a deposit. And you'll have to be diligent about this, and this takes training, and there's no question that there's an aspect of human error to it. But this is going to give you really fine-tuned data, where you can say, hey, we had seven customers in last week looking at zero-clearance gas fireplaces, and our estimate percentage was 73%. Now, I get that there's a fudge factor, right? You might have missed one. So like, I don't know, call it plus or minus 10% or 20%. But, but I would rather have data that is fine-tuned like that with a little bit of a, of a margin of error than to have like the counter on the door that technically gives you exact data but I actually don't know what to do with it. That's the way that I would recommend it. And and there's there's all kinds of digital tools that you can use in the meantime. I know that at Falco's, you know, there's a there's a tool that Grant uses this called Lobby Central. And it, it allows you to track customers as they come in to allow them to kind of like take a number and have a salesperson come out and work with them. It's an amazing system. But I think that for most companies, truly, I would just make the spreadsheet print it out, put it on the desk, and give it to either the salesperson or the secretary or, you know, whoever it is that's the front line with the customers, and you train them to mark every single one. And then what you do is you have a master spreadsheet where you compile this. You can have somebody on your team do this and you can look at macro trends. For me, this was really, really helpful to raise up our quote percentage. And and you know, some of the criticism is like, well, you know, my salespeople, they're not gonna they're not gonna mark that they didn't quote a customer. And I would just say they will if they see you do it. I mean, truthfully, and and honestly, like the way that you present this needs to be, this is a tool to help all of us get better, right? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that you probably... Have some kind of an incentive plan for your sales team where whether it's a commission, a spiff, or at the end of the year, if you sell more, they get a bigger bonus. But in some way, shape, or form, your sales team probably makes more money if they sell more. And they can see that Like keeping track of this stuff helps us figure out where do we need to to get better because that's going to serve our customers and help us make more money. Now, if you have a clerical person or a secretary, give it to them. They're unbiased and just have them mark it down every single time because they can observe what's going on on the floor. But this is a great question. And truly, I think that this is foundational. And and I would go as far as to say, unless you're doing this, I would be really hesitant on spending anything on marketing, truthfully, just because... This is going to be the the kind of the starting point for figuring out okay what's working what's not are we being effective with our customers like when I go into to many businesses and ask what their estimate percentage is almost everybody says oh we probably quote 70 80% of, of the people that come in our store but very often when they actually start tracking it it's under 20%. And so, you know, if we're only quoting 20% of our customers, why are we going to dump a bunch of money into advertising? Let's get our, our estimate percentage up. And that way we're making the most of the opportunities that we have. Then let's add some marketing to to, to fill that funnel further. So I hope that answers the question. It's a really good one. And, and I understand there might be some pushback on that because my system does have human error and it's very, it's like painfully simple. But I, I found it to be really, really helpful. Okay, next question here. I've been a chimney sweep business forever, and now I'm getting into hearth. What do I need to know? <laughs> How much time you got? This is a great question, and honestly, uh, I have seen this a ton in the last year. Uh, there are chimney companies exploding all over the place that are starting to get into the retail space because there's a lot of markets that you know don't have any retail presence or frankly don't have a very good retail presence. And so there's a lot of chimney companies that are starting to get really aggressive. So with that, if you're know if, if you a chimney sweep that, that is looking to get into this, and, and I would say this is actually going to apply too for like, if you're a hearth company that's primarily sold retail and you're looking to get into new construction, it's kind of the same thing. Because... There's a lot of companies that I mean, I guess as a retailer, you're either built for new construction or you're or you're not. And there's many, you know, I used to work for Fireside Home Solutions. They're built for new construction. Everything in their company is centered around it. They've got dedicated builder sales reps. It's a it's a whole different model from retail sales where Mister and Mrs. Jones come in to to buy a fireplace. All of that said, if you're going to be going into a new line of business, right? whether you're a chimney sweep that's moving into the hearth side or if you're a retail store that is really looking to grow a presence with the new construction market or get into commercial or barbecue or XYZ, the beauty is this. You've got infrastructure. So you're actually not starting at ground zero. If you do this right, you're starting like 10 floors up. And so for a lot of chimney sweeps, the beauty is this. You've already got installers, you already have in-home salespeople, and you already already know something about fireplaces, and that is huge. So I, I think the biggest thing that I would say for a chimney sweep looking to get into the business is you have to get a retail showroom. There's, there's no way around it. It's just that you're not taken seriously if you don't have a retail showroom, and, and that will validate your presence instantly. Another thing is that many chimney sweeps have more Google and Yelp and online reviews than any of the Hearth retailers. So the second you've got a retail store... Man, if I don't know anything about fireplaces and I and I go, you know, punch fireplace store into the computer and I see that there's a retail store that's got 350 reviews, when all the local heart stores have six to to forty. Like, there's no question that you're going to get an at bat. So, I think number one, you got to get a physical presence. It doesn't have to be huge. I mean, honestly, you can do a ton of damage. Like, you can sell millions of dollars worth of stuff in a showroom that is under 1,500 square feet. But you got to have that physical presence. Next up is you you got to create a sales process. And and you know, you've heard me talk before uh, about the seven-step sales process on this podcast a couple seasons back, but your showroom actually needs to be a sales process outside of any people. So, what I would think about is what are the units that you want to sell? And one of the downsides of many hearth retailers is that they carry too many lines. And when you carry too many lines, you don't have focus. So if you're coming into this, again, and this doesn't have to be a chimney sweep, this could be like if you're an installer that wants to start your own business, if you want to buy out your boss and you're kind of starting from scratch, I would recommend consolidating your lines. And you know, it's up to you how and when you want to end relationships. I, I, I don't want to give you advice into that without knowing the specifics of it. But, but I will say that too many lines is not good for anybody because it's not good for your manufacturers because they're not getting a big enough piece of the pie. And and frankly it distracts and and leaves your sales team frazzled at best and, and totally unfocused and, and not good at worst. So I would recommend really thinking about each product line. So take gas inserts and I'd recommend building a good, better, best system with you know, probably not more than two manufacturers, same thing for gas fireplaces and for wood stoves, but, but there has to be intentionality. So if somebody walks into your showroom and says, why do you sell this fireplace? Like this one right here, the team member on the floor needs to know exactly why there's got to be a cohesive message and a reason for everything. Now with that, again, you know, imagine we're in a 1500 square foot showroom, I I think that you can do a ton of damage in that showroom with under I got to think about this. I'm going to say under 20 displays for sure. You can actually do a ton of damage with with 10 displays. You you need a requisite variety. So you need enough that that people have choice but not so much that they're overwhelmed. And unfortunately, with many companies cuz they've got so many product lines and every manufacturer is pushing for everything to go on the floor, there's no focus to it, and so customers get overwhelmed, and salespeople get get inundated. I, I was in a showroom pretty recently, where amazing, amazing showroom, but there were so many options. It was it was clear that the salesperson, it was just it was hard for them to stay focused, that they didn't understand the purpose of everything that was in there. So, the cool thing for you is you've got the infrastructure, right? You've got installers. You already know how to do scheduling. You already know how to do in-home sales. If you put together a showroom with simplicity in mind you you are gonna have a huge leg up and and I would say frankly you are gonna need to staff it but at the beginning that, that isn't gonna take a lot of people you can probably do that with with you know two full-time people and if push comes to shove one full-time and one part-time person you can staff a retail showroom until you get you know busier but you build your model on in-home sales and, and if you're listening to this as a retailer I would tell you I would throw everything everything into in-home sales. If you have a showroom, if you're an existing retailer, man, you've got so much credibility. Start going out to the house. If people invite you out to their house and you can qualify them on the phone that, hey, fireplaces cost, you know, whatever, three to $8,000, whatever your fireplace is. If you give them a range and they say, come to my house, that is a sale to be won that, that you have a high you know percentage chance of, of completing. So I'm kind of going a lot of different directions, but I think that it comes down to simplicity. So, so trust yourself that you've got infrastructure, and that infrastructure will instantly allow you to run faster than somebody starting from scratch. But I would say physical showroom presence, leverage your Google reviews, because that will instantly give you credibility over anybody in the market. And it doesn't matter if they've been doing it for 30 years. If you've got 350 Google reviews from your service work, and the local you know hearth store only has 30 you you, you look like the expert and, and for retailers that are listening to this I would say invest in reviews right find a review solution to send your service text out with and get your reviews up to that 300 350 mark this is something that is extremely difficult to do but it's worth doing and as, as I have worked with some chimney sweeps man I mean I, I frankly like I I think that like like if I was a retailer and I, if I could pay a hundred thousand dollars for three hundred and fifty Google reviews like done i 'll probably i 'd probably do it twice I, I think they 're that valuable because it it is the deciding vote when Mr. and Mrs. Smith are sitting at home trying to figure out where to go so leverage your reviews, have a physical showroom presence, simplify your lines. And and don't show a lot of products, but show the right products. So so get with somebody who really understands the market. Like you know, talk to your different sales reps. Um, you know, find somebody. Like I think about people like Jerry Eisenhower. There's there's all kinds of guests we've had on this podcast that really understand the market. Where you can take a look at okay, what's what's the competition selling, and do I want to sell the same thing, or is it better for me to differentiate? So. Physical showroom presence, simplify your product lines, leverage your Google reviews and staff that showroom and, and, and you're going to be off and rolling. Really, really good question there. Okay, here is another one and this is a good question too. Tim, who do you recommend for a CRM to use? Okay, so CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management and... Um, you know, basically, this is this might be new terminology to you, and there's no shame if if it is. A CRM is something that is absolutely critical in today's day and age. And and basically, an old school CRM would be a Rolodex or a piece of graph paper where, like, I file all my customers by name. I chart. Hey, I called. Uh, Stan Smith last week to check in on his project. He's waiting to hear back from his contractor, and so I'm going to touch base with them the following week. The, the, you know, the, there was a place you could go to look at your book of business, understand where everybody was in the sales pipeline, and know you know when you're supposed to to take the next step or follow up with them. Today, obviously, this has been you know moved into software platforms, and and there's a million of them out there. I, ha- I had uh, this gentleman ask me about about Salesforce. And Salesforce.com, I, I think they're the biggest CRM in the world. They they offer solutions for like multi-billion dollar companies and 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 they're huge. And, and then there's there's all kinds of, of you know CRMs that you can that you can use. This is this is what I'll say when I'm when I'm asked about recommending a CRM to use. I will say that you absolutely need to use one. If you are a manufacturer, it'll, it'll change the way the, I mean, f- for any company, it'll change the way you do everything. Like if you're, if your sales reps are not tracking their opportunities and documenting them in a central space where they can stay on top of it. And, and frankly, you as a, as a manager or a leader or an owner of a, of a company can, can touch base with, with where they are and understand it. I mean, it, it'll change your company to start, to start doing this, but there is a, an element of, of training to it for most retailers though. Uh, the thing to remember is that Sometimes people come in trying to sell you a CRM and they'll make you feel really dumb or stupid for oh you haven't been using this, everybody uses this, it's gonna do all this stuff for you. The thing to remember in in my opinion is that most CRM systems, like Salesforce.com is a is a you know it's an amazing system that like there's manufacturers multiple in our in our industry that use this. But I'll tell you, it is unbelievably complex. Like unbelievably and it is not built for our industry. It's built to be a general tool, and switching over to it is not simply like you know if you're uh, if your business is a house, you know moving over to Salesforce.com or you know many of these big you know expensive heavy hitting CRMs, it is not like putting new paint on on your trim. It is literally bulldozing your house and building a new house. And if you're in a position where your business is willing to do that. Then, then by all means do it there's amazing things that you can do through those CRMs but this is not like a remodel or a cosmetic update this is a bulldozing of what you do and building everything in your business around this CRM my advice I'll, I'll give you I'll give you three one of them's free and, and two of them will, will, will cost you money the first one that's free is is I would I would literally use Google Sheets and you know I, I I've taught this in a lot of my courses I have I have a template CRM that you know you can use totally for free if you want to email me and I can send it to you but I would use Google Sheets and I would simply set up a database of customers and I would create a different worksheet for each of your team members right so if I'm Tim and I I've, I've got my book of, of customers I've got sheet number 1 maybe Julie has sheet number 2 Jessica has sheet number 3 and Peter has sheet number 4 so Every team member can can go into this Google Sheet and you can set up protections of like who can edit which cells. But every time I work with a customer, they get logged in. And I track when they came in, I track what they looked at, how much it costs, the category of product. Are they an A level, B level, C level customer? I would track what stage of the sales pipeline are they at. And again, this means that you have to have a sales pipeline. And you know, a, a really simple sales pipeline is it's a four-stage pipeline where stage one is that they've received an estimate. Stage two, we have scheduled an in-home appointment. Stage three, we've completed an in-home appointment, and then stage four, the job is won. And obviously, the job can be lost or put on hold or, or whatever it is. But but the salesperson needs to be tracking where in the pipeline is this customer and then finally we need to have a section for notes. In, in in my template CRM there's there's a little bit more than that and I build some basic like drop downs in so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But I mean this is literally this is free. And what's cool with it is that as a manager now if your team is using this, you can just look at like how many estimates has Eric written up in the last 2 weeks? I can check it, right? What is Susie's close rate? I can look at that and instantly know. And, and this is a powerful tool as well. Like, man, this is something that, that many dealers aren't taking advantage of, but I feel like if it's if it's the middle of the busy season like this, one of the most effective ways to make money is literally tell your salesperson to go home and work their CRM for two hours, right? Or like send them to a Starbucks with a laptop and say, go buy yourself a cup of coffee, work the CRM for two hours. Two hours of calling back customers and and, and updating their sales pipeline and asking for money. And like, that is so powerful, but you can't do it unless you're tracking all your data somewhere. So again, this is really simple and, and it's easy to poke holes in. Like no question, Salesforce.com is better than a Google sheet, but this allows you to not have to rebuild your entire business around it. And I found it's a really helpful first step that you know I've had a lot of success with. Okay. CRM number two is Closing Commander. And Closing Commander is, is something that is developed by carter harkins and, and taylor hill they've actually been guests on the podcast before and i, I think the world of, of what they're doing so closing commander is not a traditional crm I've, I've been trying to convince them to make it one but they're 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 kind of purposely wanting it to be simple what it is is it's it's a tool to follow up so um you can go to ClosingCommander.com and sign up for it they don't pay me for this you can it's just a i think it's a good product that that is really good at what it does. Basically, what it's going to do is after you write a customer up an estimate, you can log into Closing Commander and say, "I want to follow up with this customer." And it will send a follow-up campaign of I think it's like 7 emails over the course of about 6 weeks from you to the customer, literally just saying, "Hey, checking in on the estimate. How are you doing?" And and this is set up for just to take care of your follow-up so that as long as it gets logged into Closing Commander, you don't have to touch it. Now, if a customer calls you and says, hey, I want to purchase, your, your team member needs to go into closing commander and turn off that customer. Otherwise, they're going to get sent an email saying, hey, you know, checking in on your estimate, do you want to purchase? Customers don't like that after they've already purchased. So again, there's a human factor to it where if, if you don't stay on it, you're going to have to manage customers' expectations because they're upset that you emailed them after they've already bought. That said... This is a really simple system that I fully fully believe in and it's again it's this is the start of tracking your opportunities. They even have a cool uh, little tool where you can see how much money has it made you like over the last year. And that and that's really neat. So, Closing Commander is a good one. It's not a full-blown CRM, but it is a follow-up system that is excellent for follow-up. It's not going to be a spot where you keep like all your customer notes and, and and you use it in quite the same way as like that uh that Google Sheet that I was just telling you about. But it's an excellent tool for wanting an automated way to make sure everything's getting followed up on so that your company makes money. And obviously that's you know what all this is is for is to help give your company more fuel in the tank, which is which is money. Okay. Number three, I am saving this one for last because I'm I'm biased. And so I'll tell you like take this with a grain of salt. But part of my journey over the last few years building Wi-Fi is building a CRM for it. And I'll tell you right now, the CRM is functional, but we're in the middle of adding some unbelievable features. And and essentially, Wi-Fi is a it's a customized estimate generator. So like if you're a business that's ever been out two weeks on estimates Wi-Fi makes it to where it, you're not you, you can you can you know quote anything in you know 30 seconds 45 seconds it's a customized estimate for every customer but what's cool with Wi-Fi is that as soon as you write that estimate it instantly gets logged into Wi-Fi's CRM so there's no double entry right like with with my Google sheet that's free or with closing commander there's double entry you have to write the estimate send it to the customer and then open up the Google sheet or open up closing commander and enter you know John Smith came in. He came in looking at this gas insert. It cost this much money. With Wi-Fi, it's all automatic. That stuff is automatically loaded in. Now, right now the way that Wi-Fi is set up is you can you can adjust, okay, what stage of the sales pipeline are they at? I can put my notes in, I can mark as the job won, is the job lost. Over the next year, my personal mission, I've actually literally got this written down right here in front of me. I look at it like three days a week as I'm as I'm planning out, you know, my my attack for the day. This is is going to be the best CRM in the fireplace industry a year from now. I'm just, I'm convinced of it. And the reason why is that it's not just me building it. it, it's based on the feedback of dealers all over North America using it. So, it's built for our industry, by our industry. And so, you know, right now you can sign up for Wi-Fi and, and subscriptions range from 400 to 850 bucks a month, depending on, on what you want to do. And, and you can use it to have automated follow-up with customers, get your customized estimates, but the CRM is a part of it. So, Again, this costs money. I am biased, and so that's why I'm telling you that there's a lot of options. But if you need to start somewhere, email me, and I'll send you this Google Sheet totally for free, and I'll tell you, you can take your company a long ways on that. Really, really good question. Man, we're going, we're going fast. I didn't mean to be talking this long, but, but I think that you know it's really important to, to, to hit this stuff. Okay, next question. <laughs> this season hit me like a freight train. What can I do to not have this happen again next year? That's a great question. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are asking it. This year is crazy. No one, I mean, maybe you saw this demand coming, but I think people were terrified, like, are we even going to have a business? And now it's like, man, my customers might burn down my business because they're so mad product isn't coming in. I can't get out to their house fast enough. I'll, I'll tell you this, this season hit everybody like a freight train even the best top flight dealers in the country were hit like a freight train and and truthfully like that's a great problem to have now i'll say this for many companies it wouldn't have mattered if they were half as busy they would have been hit just as hard because they don't have systems and processes in their business to allow anyone but the owner to do the majority of the work So, so this is what I'll say is that if you don't want to be hit next year, the same way as this year in your off season, start laying down systems and processes. And, and, and if you want to listen to that, go back and listen to last season of the podcast where we talk about all the different departments of a hearth business, you know, start sales, marketing, the showroom, your support staff, installation, service, we go through all of it. But if, if, if you're like many companies in the industry, well, I don't want to pigeonhole people, but I'll say this. There are many companies in the industry that are terrified to pay taxes. And so what they do is, at the end of every year, they try to pull every penny out of the business so that they can prove to Uncle Sam or you know the Canadian government that the business didn't make any money. So that way they don't have to pay any taxes. The problem with that is that now you don't have any money to invest in people. So, So my suggestion, if you want to build a framework of systems and processes, you have to have people. So I would say... After this season, there's no excuse for laying anybody off next season. We've been so busy. And and the truth is, like, if you can retain a salesperson through this year, I mean they they, they could increase your business by half million dollars next year. If you have maybe right now you have three installers and uh, you, you're worried about having to lay one off, I mean, think about that installer's pay for an entire year. And and think about this. Like if, if you could if you could hire a helper. In just the off-season, right, if you could hire a helper in, in, say, July, and you train them at the end of July and in August, literally from September to December, that helper and the installer that you didn't lay off easily, easily could bring in $400,000 of business for your company. Like, easily. So, so, And, and that's just in four months of the year, five months of the year. So I would say, do not lay off your people. Don't pull all the money out of your business. And maybe this means as an owner that even though it's a surplus year, you take a hit where you leave $50,000, $75,000 in the business so that you've got the money to start investing into a support staff or an extra installation crew, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. If you never lay the groundwork, I mean, you're never going to get anywhere. And I think it's, I think it's kind of the same thing of like, you know, you know, pick your issue, but it's like, man... Uh, I, I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I had a better relationship with my wife or with my kids. Okay, well, if I if I don't invest any groundwork in adjusting my schedule so I never hang out with them, I don't go to their activities, is it any wonder that I'm getting this result? And it's only going to get worse and worse with my kids and my wife. Same thing is true with your business because we're all getting older. So you will get more and more tired. And even though you can do it now, there will be a day where you can't or you don't want to. So... Yeah, if if you don't want to be hit, you know, like a freight train again, I would definitely say go back and listen to last season where we talk about the different uh, departments in a business. Invest everything into your systems and processes. Start a, a cadence of regular meetings in your company. That in and of itself will go a long ways. And I would say don't lay your staff off. Instead, hold extra money aside to invest next year, and, and you're going to be better for it. You're still going to be tired. I mean, you know, I, I think about this with running a lot. I've been I've been running for I don't know a, a while. And and literally, I've been running for probably five, six years now, like very consistently. And it's only been in the last six months that I've started to consider myself to be a runner. And the truth is that, like, you know, everybody fights that that insecurity of like, you know, man, can I actually do this? Like, can I actually afford to, to keep these people on? And the truth is like, hey, you're you're a business owner. And like, you can do this. You got to invest in it. But, but over time, if, if you do, you're going to be in good shape. And just like running... I still get tired if I go run 10 miles. I mean, in the same way that like five years ago, I'd get tired if I ran two miles. You know, you're always going to get tired, right? Like in the seasons, life's never going to be easy. But the difference is that like, I'm able now to go faster and further than ever before. Same thing for your business. And truthfully, the problems that you're going to be solving two years from now, when you've got infrastructure and systems and processes are going to be a heck of a lot different than the problems you're solving now. they are going to be a lot bigger and a lot funner to solve. So yeah, really, really good question. All right, here we go. A um, couple website questions. Okay, here's the first one. Concerning websites, do you have an example of some that are headed in the right direction for our industry? As you know, many of them are pretty bad. Um, that, that's correct. I, I will uh, graciously say um, most websites in our industry are uh, very poor. And one of the dangers is that people think that just because they spent a bunch of money and they hired uh, a graphic designer that can make a beautiful looking website means that it's a good website. And that's a lie. It's just it's just not true. I, I, I'm thinking right now of, of a, two websites in particular in our industry that are beautiful and they are not they're not helpful for selling anything. They're they're confusing and and they're extremely difficult to navigate. So so uh and, and vice versa, like whenever I teach about about website content, I always always give out the TSA website, like for TSA precheck. If you if you go to the I think it's like TSA.com slash precheck, But, you know, it's like the most boring thing in the world, right? It's the government selling you quicker boarding on airplanes. That website is so boring looking, and I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Like, what the words say and the way they've got their call to action button set up, like, that's an effective website. So, I I don't want to dog on people too much, but I will say that there are not many companies that have it figured out. And the reason why is that they're not thinking about a website as a sales funnel. They're thinking about it. This is a Donald Miller analogy. They're thinking about it like a piece of art. And uh, what they're doing is they're paying, you know, $50,000 sometimes if you're a manufacturer to hire an artist to paint you a beautiful painting and put it up on your wall and and it makes you feel really good cuz it's a painting of yourself, right? So you see your logo, you see your fireplaces and, and you see like you look so good as you, as you, as you, as you, as you're as you're walking by it and, and you see that painting. The problem is the painting doesn't make you any money. It doesn't actually connect with any customers. So, you know, the the truth is that there there are some companies that are closer than others. And uh, man, there's actually there's actually one manufacturer, I'll, I'll tell you, um, they are close. And like, there's some stuff I've seen on their website. And, and actually, this is a manufacturer like I've never really had any contact with, or very, very little. And I'm looking at their website being like, man, that is the right direction. I think actually, I, I might actually send them an email after this and just tell them it's the right direction because it's really good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say in, in general, most companies aren't thinking about their website as a sales funnel. When a customer comes to your website, and this is true if you're a retailer, if you're a distributor, if you're a manufacturer, they want something out of you. They don't care about your story. They don't care how long you've been in business. Like, right? Like, if you're if you're you know looking for uh, help with your showroom, right? And you go to my website, you go to itsfiretime.com. You you don't sit there and, and think like, man, like I just want to learn all about tim's wife and he loves to play basketball i'd love to learn about you know where did he where did he start playing basketball at what what was his high school no like you're coming to the website thinking hey i need help with my showroom design and, and i think that this person could help me right so so the website needs to be set up to to think about that sales funnel and say hey these are the problems that we solve. This is what your life can be like after working with us. And here's the exact steps you need to take to work with us. And, and do you want to do that? You know the customer can say yes or no. It's a, it's a it's a free country, but you know most companies have a website that's like a treasure map with no X on it, right? You're going all over the place and you're just like, I was on a website the other day thinking like I just want to know how to buy. Okay? You need to have your website set up with a specific funnel, right? So when the customer comes to your website, they start here, then they go here, then they go here and they take action. If your website is not drawing customers to take action, it's gonna lose. And so I think that uh, you know, rather than, than dog on websites specifically, I would say that we have a bunch of people in our industry that are experts on a lot of things, but we have bought into the lie that a website is a beautiful piece of art on the wall that makes me feel really good when I walk by and, and see how good my logo looks on it. And and that's not what a website's for. Okay, well, this piggybacks into the the next question. It says, we're going to be making a new website, and I don't want to waste a bunch of money. How should it be laid out, and what do I need to tell the people who are making it for me? This is an incredible question. Here's my advice. Again, I'm going to tell you, to, to before you spend a penny on your website, you got to go out and read two books. And they're both by the same person. The first one is called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And the second one is called Marketing Made Simple by Donald Miller and J.J. Peterson. These books will save you thousands and thousands of dollars in wasted money on bad websites. So go read those two books first. And a lot of what you're going to hear me say is is largely informed by them because I think that that they are the authority on building an effective website in today's market. So, So here's what you need to do. First off, you need to create a message for your Company Storybrand calls this a brand script. So if you can go back actually to season, I think it was two of the podcast and listen to my episode when, when JJ Peterson, the author of Marketing Made Simple, was on, and we talk about building a brand script. Right. So if someone stops you in the supermarket and says, "Hey, can you tell me about your company?" What would you say? Well, you actually, you, that's what that's what's happening on your website, and you need to have a brand script that makes a customer think, "Oh my gosh." They understand me, they know me, they can solve my problem, and, and I know what to do to make that happen. Most companies don't have this, and if you don't have it, your website's just not going to work, because you don't have a cohesive message. There's all kinds of exercises to do, but you basically walk through seven steps of, you know, who's my customer? What do they want? How do I present myself as a guide? What's the plan that I show them? How do I call them to action? What, what do they risk by not doing business with me, and what's the success that they're going to find if they actually do work with me? Once you have your brand script, then you create a wireframe. And uh, this is something, again, if you email me, I've got a template wireframe that I'd, I'd be happy to send you. It's literally, it's, it's an Excel file with a bunch of boxes. This is all that it is. You can do this on a, on a couple napkins if you want. And this is what that book, Marketing Made Simple, is really going to show you. But before you pay anybody, you, before you talk to any company, About your website, you gotta wireframe it yourself because you can hire a company that really understands web development in the same way that you can hire an artist that really understands painting. But the problem is, you're not trying to make just a beautiful painting you are trying to make something that causes customers to buy. And so you have to wireframe that yourself or with the help of a consultant or someone that intimately understands your business before you ever give it to a web person. So as you go through the wireframe, you're going to wireframe every page. And we're not talking about graphic design, but take the homepage, for instance. You're going to say, okay, on our front homepage, we need a call to action button that says, get an estimate, that says schedule a video call, and we need text that says your home deserves a beautiful fireplace okay when you scroll down we need to have a picture of a family in front of the fireplace with a testimonial right in this spot from Susie smith that says you know this fireplace changed my life my house used to be freezing cold and now we're saving money and warmer than ever okay then you scroll down you need to talk about how it's really hard to buy a fireplace because information is confusing people don't do it very often What's the solution to that? Well, that's why, you know, we've been helping our customers on projects for the last 30 years, and we'll work with you to make sure that everything gets done. Click right here to schedule a, a consultation, right? You you present the problem, you, you give a solution to that problem, and then you give a call to action. You do this for an entire website, and like, you know, I, I've worked with, with, uh, uh, a lot of companies on, on wireframing their sites and it is exhausting. Like this is a haul, but this is the work that will make your site worth it. And And, and I'm telling you, if you can invest in wireframing your entire site, tearing the words apart to shreds, right? No one's ego gets hurt if you say, "Ah, you know, that kind of sucks. Like let's let's come up with a better idea." That's totally fine. Like we're we're not hurting people. We're just tearing apart the words on the website. You can dial that thing in to be unbelievable. Then you send it to the web developer. And this actually significantly lowers your cost because you are not asking your web developer to, you know, paint a, a Rembrandt from scratch. You are giving them a house that is framed. It's got drywall up and you're just saying, hey, can you paint the walls and put furniture inside? You will save thousands of dollars on your website doing this and it's going to be significantly better. So I I hope that's helpful for you. Um, If you want to email me, again, my email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. I'd be more than happy to send you the website wireframe that I put together based on the framework from uh, that book, Marketing Made Simple. Okay, this has been terrific, and uh, this is kind of a funny question. It's it's just a a funny personal one for the the last question of this podcast, and and it says between Wi fi the podcast, your consulting work, and now a magazine, do you ever sleep? And uh, I you know <laughs> I, I appreciate people asking that. I I'll say this. Um, I, I do. You know, um, my goal is I I absolutely try to get seven hours a night. Uh, I don't always get that, but, but I, that's my absolute goal. Truthfully, I'm, I'm trying to push for eight hours. And so I'm in the middle of adjusting my schedule to be able to get to eight hours, but truthfully, like I have a lot of irons in the fire and, and you know, my life is, is, is busier than I want, but you know, I'm doing a lot of really fun things, but, but truthfully, like I, I don't think I'm, I'm super stressed out every, every Friday I watch my kids for four hours. So my wife can take half the day off. And, uh, I think that, the, one of the cool things has has been just being able to build structure into my life. Like, left my own devices. I am not an organized person, and, and sometimes people are surprised when they meet me. But those are all learned habits. Most of them have, have come from being married to my wife. But I, I'm not an organized person, and so I've had to build infrastructure into my life, just like your business, right? Like, no business is naturally organized. You got to build infrastructure in, it, and it's painful, and it takes time and effort and work, and you always have to be going back to the basics and 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 you know fine tuning what you've done. But the truth is that there is a result in the same way that, like, if you go running every day, all of a sudden, like, you'll be able to run ten miles. It's not magic. It's just what happens. And so, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm involved in a lot, and I'm and I'm really happy to be to be involved in a lot. But but I would I would think that people that know me don't don't think I'm I'm overly busy. I I, I try to work really really hard when I'm on, and then when I'm off, uh, I I do my best to, to be off. So yeah, so I I do get sleep. I'm not on any any drugs and and my sleep I would say almost every night is going to be at, at 7 hours. So uh, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate you looking out for me. And and guys, that's all the questions that we have. You know, I hope that it was valuable for you. I I love doing these episodes because I think that business is is a game that is so nuanced. And and the truth is like it, it, if it was easy, everybody would do it. It it, it it's easy to uh to to feel dumb to think like man like everybody's smarter than me i can't do it like this person but man we all feel that way like anytime you're doing something new like if you're a first generation business owner you're doing something new you know if, if you're a, if you're a second generation business owner chances are you're doing things differently than your parents did and, and at the very least you're in a different world so, so don't ever feel bad or feel dumb that like you don't have all the answers or you don't have it all figured out i think for me one of the things i've been learning that has been just powerful for me is like I think that vulnerability is is powerful. I I think that people that can show vulnerability and say, yeah, I haven't done this before. I I don't know how this is going to work out. I I might be wrong. Or you know what? I was wrong back there. That's how you win. Truthfully, like when you are so stubborn and hard hearted and like terrified of your ego, that you can't admit a mistake or, you know, we can't, we can't do things differently because, you know, we don't know if it's going to work. Guess what? No one knows if anything's going to work. Like, that's how life is and I, and I think that I think that pressing into appropriate vulnerability sets you up to, to have you know powerful powerful strength and influence and, and it sets you up ultimately to be a servant and and help other people so you know I hope these questions have been have been beneficial for you I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you guys are, are asking them and, and that you take the time to listen to this podcast so uh, we're gonna we're gonna step back for just a second and I'll come back and, and we'll finish this episode out here Man, well, I hope you guys got a lot of value out of that. For me, it is so fun to be able to do these episodes, and, and I don't, I don't take it lightly that you know you ask questions and you give pause and, and thought to the responses that I have. It, it means the world. Now, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. There's a survey for this season. We haven't done this for a couple podcast seasons, but but I really want to get your feedback. I want to know how valuable is this podcast to you? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? How is the time length of each episode? That might sound intimidating, but it's only going to take you like 25 seconds to fill this survey out. And a random participant in the survey is going to get an Amazon gift card. So if you want to do that, you know, consider this my performance review. If you want to give me my performance review of how, you know, I've done to bring you value and I I need it. I need honesty. Go to the website. It's firetime.com slash survey. That's it's firetime.com slash survey. Now, we're going to be taking a break for a few months and i'm excited about season 6 because we're going to be coming back in march and and you know traditionally we've started the 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 spring seasons with a live episode at our trade show and that's obviously not going to happen this year because the trade show got moved to louisville in in june and i we're we're still going to do a live episode there it's probably going to be a bonus episode between seasons 6 and 7 we're still working out the details but we're going to have something really cool for season 6 and we're going to be actually pairing the launch of the next season of the podcast with the launch of the Firetime magazine and truthfully you know you've heard me talk about this the last couple of weeks on the podcast if you haven't downloaded the app yet I'm telling you you have to go to itsfiretime.com slash app and you can download it for either an Android device or an Apple device but I am so stoked on the content of this magazine. This is something that's going to start coming out digitally every single month. And we are throwing everything into giving you articles and interviews to grow your business. We've hired a couple of writers that, that wrote for Hearth and Home Magazine. Previously, we have contributors from all over the country that are experts in the field. And we cannot wait for this to be delivered to you. So go to the website, it's slash app, and you can get your eyes on our prototype issue right now. Lastly, to close this episode out, you know, if this has been a blessing for you, you can support it financially. And and the website, as we always say, it's patreon.com slash it's That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's And and your contributions seriously, they, they seriously mean the world. You know, thanks to your contributions this season, we've been able to outsource the editing of this podcast, which that's part of the reason I'm getting sleep, is that like it takes Hours and hours and hours to edit these episodes, and being able to outsource that has allowed me to focus more on who are the guests that we're going to get, what are we going to be doing in each interview, and and I hope it's paid off in in being a more valuable podcast for you. So, if you want to support us financially in any way, shape, or form, whatever you want to give is incredible. You can go to patreoncom time To wrap things up, you know this season has been crazy. There's no way around it, but my hope is that you are a different person than you were at the beginning of the season when you started. That, that you've had to think about, what, what is the work that I'm doing and what kind of leader am I? Have, I? have I built practices into my own life of discipline? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I spending time with my kids, with my family, with my spouse? Am I, am I creating prosperity for my team members. I think back to, to Malcolm saying that a few episodes back. Man, that's incredible. You know, am I creating prosperity for my team members? Am I creating prosperity for my customers? Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, there is more to life than money. And, and Simon Sinek talks about this in his book, The Infinite Game. Money is fuel. So, so we need it, right? Like, but, but money's money's fuel to get somewhere. Like, your life should be going somewhere. Your business should be going somewhere. And you obviously need fuel in the tank to get there. But but having a big fuel tank, who cares? Like that it doesn't matter, right? Like, do I have enough fuel to get where I'm going? That's what it's for. But your business and your life should exist for something bigger. I, I always think back to that the the parable in, in the scriptures of of the talents. If you have if you haven't read it, there's this master that that gives his his servants talents, and that was like a it was a measure of money. And to one he gives one, to one he gives five, to one he gives ten. And basically there's rewards for the people that that invested that and came back with a return. And and what's funny is that at the at the end of this parable, the, the master, the reward of, of being faithful and, and growing the resources, you should get even more resources. Like this is what it means to share in the delight of the master. Like to have an abundance means that you get to give it away to other people for them to start growing, for them to start creating abundance and prosperity. And, and I think that's a beautiful picture. Of, I mean, ultimately, like what life is for, but especially what this industry is for. So I, I hope that this has been beneficial for you. I cannot wait to see you next season. If you need any of the resources we talked about in this episode, you can send me an email. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. I hope that you go out and for these next few months, keep rocking it. Be a blessing to your team members and create prosperity for everyone.